Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Waiver Wire Tuesday Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardison, joining me as he always does on this lovely Tuesday, PFF's finest ranking expert, the waiver connoisseur himself, Nathan Yonke. Nate, we're halfway through the first six weeks of the season. We got six more of these stretches. That's the way my, my mind's looking at things. I feel great. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. A little sad to see that Sterling Shepard indeed tore his ACL and is out for the year. So a little bit down because of that. Don't like to see players getting hurt. But outside of that, doing fine. Don't want to see any player get hurt. But I think we can objectively say like Sterling Shepard more so. Just what that dude's Mm -hmm. been through coming back from the Achilles. And just a play like that. Like, damn it, Nate. That could be you and me walking to our fridge in the morning. Like, I just... Mm -hmm. To see that happen to, again, one of the top, you know, top 1% of the 1% athletes in the world, really when he came back so well from the Achilles to begin with, absolutely hate to see that. We're going to be talking about that Giants wide receiver room a little bit later, in addition to plenty of other waiver wire situations, get you guys ready to go for week four. First, though, I do want to go over some of the biggest missed opportunities from week three, as we always do in this edition of the podcast. You can check out my weekly sheesh report over on pff.com, looking at all things near misses. So, you know, the bad passes that should have scores the drops that could have been scores penalties that took away scores sometimes just downright bad luck so before we get into the waiver wire just want to quickly go over some of the biggest misses of the weekend if you had darren waller on your fantasy team like i apologize for what happened not because it was my fault but just my goodness man three catches 22 yards and no scores if you just look at the box score you're disappointed but what you didn't see man was him drop not one but two red zone touchdowns where it would have been awesome and he also had a potential 30 plus yard game go off one hand and then when he finally did catch a 29-yard pass. It got wiped out with an offensive holding penalty. So through three weeks, Nate, uh, Matt Collins, Raiders wide receiver one, pass catcher one in terms of total receiving yards, just like we all expected. Uh, Some wide receivers and just pass catchers in general that could have scored or picked up big yardage with with a more accurate pass. Josh Allen, 400 yards. I think he was the QB two overall this week. Like We're not complaining about that objectively brutal pass with the game on the line to Isaiah McKenzie, where it would have been the go ahead score, with just one minute and 49 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, Josh skipped it in. Maybe, you know, the worst throw we've seen him miss all year. Don't expect it to happen too often. Again, uh, the Jameis Winston experience. I enjoy it, but there are some lows uh, with it. Alvin Kamara from 19 yards out and Jarvis Landry from 11 yards out. Both probably should have had touchdowns. If Jameis could have thrown a more accurate pass. And we have Matthew Stafford. who We're talking more about in a second, you know, not being exactly the best quarter 
quarterback in terms of getting help with drops last week, but he also did miss some opportunities in his own right. Cooper Cup opened deep for a potential 74-yard score, but Stafford and him just couldn't link up. Same thing with Tutu Atwell from 57 yards out. Stafford's bomb just out of reach. And finally, K.J. Osborne and Kirk Cousins, they hooked up for the game-winning touchdown. That's the one that matters, but Osborne actually had a chance for a 46-yarder earlier in the game. Cool little pick play. Defender fell down. Kirk just couldn't quite handle the pressure in his face and overthrew it. Those were the bad passes where it should have been a score. These were the good passes that should have been a score, but unfortunately they were dropped. Cooper Cup from 28 yards out. Okay, I guess he gets gets one fantasy manager. Can't be complaining too much about you know what he's been doing the last two years, but lovely throw from Matthew Stafford. Unfortunately, went off Cup's hands. Also had Allen Robinson drop a five-yard touchdown on the goal line. Travis Kelsey, 16-yard pearl from Patrick Mahomes in the back of the end zone. Could have turned around that outcome. Unfortunately, went right off his hands for a drop. Keelan Cole dropped a nine-yard score. Didn't really matter. Matt Collins scored the next play. And last night, Monday Night Football, C.D. Lamb sent Twitter into a frenzy when he dropped what was at least going to be 40 yards, Nate, if not, you know, a 52-yard house call on a perfectly thrown Cooper Rush deep ball. Announcer Troy Aikman even said that Lamb won't go the rest of his career with a drop that bad. Did come back and redeem himself later in that game with that lovely one-handed catch. few other things. Uh, Jaguars tight end Evan Ingram. Bro, I've watched this replay 20 times. I'm still not convinced that he didn't score here. Like, it looks like his right foot was just barely coming coming off the ground before he secured a touchdown. One of those things where it was ruled a touchdown on the field, so I'm confused how they were able to definitively turn to overturn it. They did. No score for Evan Ingram. Similar thing with Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Dude went up to the moon to come down with this, uh, you know, just perfectly thrown pass from Joe Burrow in the back of the end zone. And they showed the replay 20 million times. I could watch it 20 million more, and I'm still not convinced that this was not a touchdown. Great job by Higgins to go up in sky, but unfortunately no score. And then finally, charges wide receiver DeAndre Carter. End of the Chargers game. Herbert throws what looked like an 11-yard touchdown. Now, if you look at the exact replay, Nate, he did seem to be juggling the ball just a little bit as his right foot was coming up. But they went from that play to the Jaguars just kneeling out the clock in about two seconds. Like, this was the quickest review I've ever seen if they did, in fact, review it, which I'm not convinced they did because the game was over, but the game wasn't over to all of us betters and fantasy football managers out there. Finally, a couple other things. Uh, first drive for the Bengals ended up being a touchdown with Samaj P. Ryan just realized we had the T. Higgins near touchdown. Jamar Chase didn't track a 56-yard pearl from Burrow. That could have been a score. And Tyler Boyd actually had a short touchdown getting nullified by a holding penalty. Also with the Rams, Cam Akers fumbled on the goal line. And we actually had Jimmy Garoppolo. I didn't catch this one live, Nate, because I was recording the Sunday night edition. But it's just like the most Jimmy G thing ever to have the Darren Rovlowski moment actually be a good thing because he steps out the back of the end zone, throws a pick six, only costs his team two points instead of six. Chess, not checkers, the Jimmy G story. So a couple more things. You know, I had some uh, just lesser good balls, no touchdowns, not the worst, though, also not the best. Some more penalties and some just shorts moments. Again, you can check that out. And the always free week three she report on PFF.com. With that all said, Nate, let's get into the main event, of course, and that is Waiver Wire Tuesday. As our lovely friend from Ireland, Jason, points out, it's a great day to be great, as always. So, Nate, you come out with your Waiver Wire uh, targets on Monday, actually, during the week. You're a freaking grinder, my friend. On Tuesday, you know, get down to really your five to add, five to cut, five to buy high, or buy low, five to buy high on uh, with that. So, as we always do, we go position by position, usually trying to keep these guys to, you know, 50, 60% availability in ESPN leagues. We'll note otherwise. But, Nate, it really comes down first to the quarterback streamer of the week. Last week, it was Tua as the potential player where, okay, not the best specific matchup for him 
uh, in week three, but we knew moving forward, he could be someone flirting with that top 12 conversation. And now Trevor Lawrence appears to be that guy, 50.7% owned over at ESPN. And this week against the Eagles, not the prettiest matchup, but if everyone out there on the waiver wire, Nate, it does seem like Trevor Lawrence could be a guy that more often than not now, we're starting to really squeeze into that top 15. Uh, yeah, he's someone that like both this year and last year going into the seasons were like, okay, um, we don't know what he's going to do, but he probably has the most upside of all the guys that we really don't know much about. And this year he has been playing a bit better than he was last year. That's added to uh, more stats than he's been getting. Uh, Jacksonville has been happy to throw the ball when they're winning, happy to throw the ball when they're losing, which is exactly what you like to see. They've stayed in 11 personnel, so always in a passing formation at the very least. So everything has been kind of pointing up in the right direction. So, um, yeah, we'd like to see him continue to do it before we really trust starting him on a week-to-week basis. But I think he's on that path to eventually being a consistent fantasy starter. So someone who should probably at least be on your rosters, regardless of if you need a quarterback specifically for this week or not. But we do have bye weeks coming shortly. So if you need a backup quarterback, he is definitely someone to consider. Obviously, still have a bigger sample of Lawrence being terrible than good, but we all know what was going on with the Urban Meyer Jaguars last year. Just the fact we've gotten these three weeks to start the year for Lawrence, so good for you know projecting his future if you were ever worried. So far, 11th among 32 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, 6th in quarterback rating, you know, ninth in turnover-worthy play rate. He's taking care of the ball, 6th in adjusted completion rate, and his game's gone up to another level when they've actually given him the benefit of a clean pocket. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions, league high, 88.5 percent adjusted completion rate when not pressured this season for trevor lawrence with that said nate not exactly someone that again a quarterback in general for most you know traditional redraft leagues you probably already have your qb1 if you're only adding trevor lawrence as a backup or bi-week streamer anything more than five ten percent of fab probably not needed here for quarterback oh uh, yeah and i'm someone who had trey lance in basically all of my leagues so i'm in a little bit more need for a quarterback and i'm sure there is that one team in each league that Probably does need someone, but I agree with you. Not a whole lot of fab if he's still available in your league. I feel that pain there, Nate. The Trey Lance injury, the Tim Patrick injury, and the Rondale Moore injury all been hurting. I would say Rondale Moore, I think, hurts the most because Greg freaking Dorch now is putting up these numbers that should have been right there for Rondale, but good for Greg Dorch, and hopefully uh, we still see Rondale here at some point. Uh, second favorite streamer of the week, going to be Jameis Winston, available in 29.2% of ESPN leagues. You start looking at the upcoming Saints schedule, and I got got on Twitter today, Nate. I looked at the Vikings game. I said it was a home game. Nope, it's in London. We got the London games to figure out there. So my bad, everyone. I will watch the film and get better. But just looking at the Saints here moving forward, they got the Vikings in London. Then they're home against the Seahawks, home against the Bengals in Arizona, home against the Raiders, and home against the Ravens. Look, the Seahawks game, like I think he could probably torch that secondary, but I'm not going to confuse that, confuse that with the potential shootout. But Saints, Vikings, Bengals, Cardinals, Raiders, Ravens, like these are the games I think we could easily see game totals, you know, really getting close to 50, if not clearing that that mark and these are the potential shootouts that we should want to see Jameis Winston in so Nate hasn't been the smoothest start for Jameis it usually isn't with that said one of the big concerns we had about the Saints offense going into this year was if they were going to be the most run heavy in offense in the league which they were when Jameis was under center last year or if they were going to throw the ball a little more so far this year sixth most pass happy offense and non-garbage time pass play rate 
Now, they've been playing a lot of games where they've just not had, they haven't had much neutral game script to really speak of because their defense hasn't really been holding up the end of the bargain. But that's all going into Jameis Winston having the sort of volume and, as we're seeing, passing efficiency mixed in with some lows to actually now be a reliable streamer for us down the road. Exactly. And the talent around him is there. Uh, Chris Olave has been playing excellent so far this year. So uh, having that as a more known positive commodity for Winston is great to see. Um, we knew we were going to see the ups and the downs, and the Saints have had plenty of injuries on offense, which has impacted things the first three weeks. So uh, I know we pretty much said the exact same thing last week where there were plenty of injuries, but uh, hopefully sometime during this season, the offense is healthy and we can see them at their best. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, just rates of wide receivers actually being open or not on the quarterback dropbacks this year, trying to see, you know, just how much of, you know, the Bears passing attack is on Justin Fields versus the receivers. And the Bears were in the bottom three, predictably. Also, the Saints were. So I will give Jameis a little bit of credit where I think part of the problem is him and this offense. I mean, we are looking at Winston with a 12-yard average target depth. If that stands over the course of this entire season, that's going to be at least the highest mark since uh, 2015. But, man, you just look at the offense as a whole. A lot of downfield shots. And, yeah, the Saints have been considered open or wide open on a league low. I think it's about 38% of Jameis' dropbacks this season. And I think that backs up, man. Michael Thomas has done a great job making a lot of contested catches. Alave's, you know, getting loose downfield. But it hasn't exactly been, you know, just one wide open wide receiver after another in New Orleans some of the injuries you talked about Alva Kamara taking away some of those easy checkdowns so even though the Saints offense you know hasn't exactly lit the league on fire to start we still do know those guys are talented hopefully once they get a little healthier we're seeing things made that much easier for Jameis and company Final quarterback to note, Marcus Mariota with the Atlanta Falcons rushed in for another score last week Nate I mean it's just wild to me how Mariota, we always knew he could be this guy. I mean, he ran the 4-5-2 at the Combine. We all saw what he did at Oregon. Like, he was a number two overall pick for a reason, but he just never ran this much in Tennessee. And all of a sudden, he goes to the Raiders. He has that not even spot start, but comes in, you know, after a series for Derek Carr. And now he's in Atlanta, and he really is looking like basically what we're all hoping Justin Fields could uh, be this year. Obviously, you have Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson in your offense. You know, he's got a bit more to work with than Justin Fields. But what are your thoughts on Mariota the rest of the season? Because he He's looking more and more like someone that should probably consistently be in that upside QB2 conversation. Uh, yeah, I agree. I Still, I'm at the point where I'm not quite comfortable starting him unless my starting quarterback's on a bye week, but he's has 90-plus rushing yards, something that Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts are the two other guys that have reached that so far this season. Um, has a high yards per attempt passing the ball at 8.0, six best among quarterbacks. And the big thing that they're really missing is just volume. They've dropped back to pass 95 times, which isn't too much for a quarterback, but I could see them being down more in some games, which will lead to more dropbacks and just more volume out of him. So um, ideally he starts using Kyle Pitts and continues to use him better like he did this last game. And hopefully at some point of time, both him and Drake London can both have huge games in the same game. But um, if that happens, then he's probably a fantasy starter a lot with his rushing ability. Not the best matchup this week against the Browns, but, you know, depending on how the Miles Garrett situation shakes out, hopefully he is recovering from that car crash. All of a sudden, that matchup could, you know, be a bit better on paper. Then he's got the Buccaneers and the 49ers. But again, a lot, a lot of times, like, like, Nathan just said, Mariota, I really hope, isn't someone that, you know, you're relying to be your weekly quarterback. You know, you probably have bigger problems than looking, uh, you know, just for a waiver wire streamer at that point. 
after those, again, aforementioned three tough matchups, though, they get the Bengals, Panthers, Chargers. That's not easy. But then Panthers, Bears, and Commanders again. So Mariota, I think if you want to just try to be ahead of the curve here and, you know, secure, you know, week seven, week eight, by whatever it might be you're dealing with, he might actually have, you know, one of the juicier matchups there in the middle of the season. So, again, number one recommended quarterback on the way for wire this week is going to be Trevor Lawrence. He's the guy that we actually think moving forward can be a weekly top 15 option potentially uh, depending on if his early season success sustains. Also have Jameis Winston there more so for the volatility. Give me a quarterback that can boom. I understand he can bust, but the fact that he can boom uh, makes him alluring. First or last, baby, unless you got that last place league punishment. That changes things, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And then finally, Marcus Mariota. I think a tear down from Lawrence and Winston, but hey, even though they are tough matchups, when you have quarterbacks that have shown the ability to run as much as, you know, modern day Marcus Mariota is running, he can overcome some of those perceived tough matchups just thanks to that fantasy friendly volume. At running back, Nate, it's the big three this week. The injury gods have finally, you know, decided to curse the NFL. We have Dalvin Cook dealing with his usual shoulder injury. DeAndre Swift dealing with ankle and shoulder issues. Dan Campbell's even gone as far to say that they could rest him for a few weeks with their bye coming up. And we also have David Montgomery dealing with that ankle issue. Again, one of these things where we don't exactly know how long any of these guys are going to be out. If they're going to be out, I would say, Nate, since we've heard just the news so far, I'm most confident in DeAndre Swift missing time and then probably Dave Montgomery and then Dalvin Cook. We're already getting the day-to-day, probably game-time decision issue for Dalvin Cook. Regardless, though, these are three players that we've been talking about all offseason and even in the earlier parts of the year in Jamal Williams, Khalil Herbert, and Alexander Madison. They should be owned on rosters of, you know, in leagues of all shapes and sizes pretty much already. They're not. In ESPN leagues, Jamal Williams, 44.4% ownership rate. Khalil Herbert's at 25.4%. And Madison, 37.3%. So talk about these three options, Nate. And basically, like, where would they rank if their starter does end up missing time this week? Um, Jamal Williams, I like him the best of just long-term because even when Swift is back, Williams is still seeing significant playing time, unlike the other two running backs. Um, he ran the ball 20 times, even though Swift still ran over 20 pass routes this past week. So, um, yeah, Swift wasn't touching the ball that much, but he was on the field significantly. And Williams has been consistently getting the short yardage goal line work. So I could see him still uh, taking some touchdowns each week, still getting maybe 10 carries when Swift is at 100%. And that's enough to be a borderline flex play in plenty of leagues. So Williams is someone that I like both this week and long term where uh, Herbert, he's a little bit more of an unknown whenever Montgomery's back. The fact that Herbert played so well um, when Montgomery first got hurt in the game, Herbert was playing like half the time, but then he kept playing so well that he took nearly every snap in the second half. So um, I think the Bears are really starting to like what they see out of Herbert. So I could see Herbert seeing at least a little bit more playing time whenever Montgomery's healthy. But if you need someone specifically for this week, if all three guys are out, Alexander Madison has consistently been a great running back whenever he's been the starter. Um, I think RB 14 or better in all four games that he played last year. Um, Over the past couple years, he's been at least a top eight NFC running back. I think over 60% of his starts, which is something pretty unheard about of running backs, although on a small sample size. So um, definitely keep an ear out for how long these guys might be out. I like Williams the best long-term about Madison the best at Dalvin Cook is out this week. 
Madison, 11, 24, 32, 32, 25, and 16 touches in six games with Cook sideline over the past two seasons. We talked in the preseason about just being a little bit concerned if he was going to have that same every down role under a new coaching staff, you know, with Kevin Connell coming from the Rams. But again, Nate, one of the great things you do every preseason for us is track all these first team snaps. And when Dalvin Cook wasn't playing with the first team offense, it was the pure Alexander Madison show. And to be fair, like Kevin O'Connell coming from that Rams system, it really has been an offense that leans historically just on one running back. That's what they've done with Dalvin Cook. Full expect them to do that with Alexander Madison. Should Cook be sidelined? Yes, Khalil Herbert. Hey, man. Man, I got a bunch of Bears fans. I uh, went, went to school in Chicago uh, back in the day. So a lot of friends that are Bears fans. And, you know, the Chicago faithful even consider that Khalil Herbert might just be straight up better than David Montgomery. I'm not going to necessarily disagree with them. I think Montgomery is more complete uh, and probably just does the little things a little more right than uh, Herbert. But explosive ability and just, again, the show he put on against Houston last week. Tough not to be impressed. Similar to someone like Damian Pierce, though, we do have to realize we're talking about the Bears offense. So that does lead me to side with you, Nate, on Jamal Boy being the number one waiver wire edition of the week. Hey, the cop we've been running with all offseason into the early weeks is that Jamal Williams is this year's version of James Conner, where remember last year when Chase Edmonds missed time, yeah, we saw James Conner going in, barely leaving the field every week, RB1 basically. But even when Chase Edmonds was out there on the field, Conner could still, you know, go out there and provide scoring opportunities in the right matchup. Right now, through three weeks, the Detroit Lions, number two ranked scoring offense in the NFL. 32nd ranked scoring defense, obviously contributing to plenty of those shootouts, but not sure any of that is changing. So with Jamal Williams, Nate, is this a situation where we get crazy and we throw 40, 50% of fab on there? Or do you think the reality that Swift isn't dealing with a long-term issue makes Williams more of a 20, 30% fab target? I'd probably lean 30 just because he is taken in over 40% of leagues. So the leagues that he is still available probably have lighter benches. So you're getting rid of someone good to get him. But I think Williams uh, definitely a starter if you need a starter these next couple of weeks. And like the passing game work, he had that role in Green Bay. So he has an experience being every role that you need in a running back. So I think he can be really good over these next two games at the very least with Swift likely out those two games. And then hopefully a flex play roughly the rest of the season. 30% fab for Jamal Williams in more leagues than not. If you do happen to find yourself, you know, in one of these 12 team leagues and he's out there and you really, yeah, you do have the guys to cut and you're not feeling too bad about. Don't be afraid to increase that more because Jamal Williams, unlike Herbert or Madison is someone that you can continuously go back to in the flex, not feel incredible about it, but he does have legit standalone value as we've seen this year. I mean, through three weeks with DeAndre Swift playing, albeit not in his full role, but still playing plenty. Jamal Williams, 47.7 PPR points in the, Andre Swift, 50.8. So they really have been neck and neck so far. With Herbert and Madison, Nate, more like 20% fab here. Again, A-plus handcuffs, and we're seeing what they can do right now with that role. With that said, the second Montgomery and Dalvin Cook come back, we're back to having these guys be nothing other than handcuffs. Uh, yeah, I'd say 20, and it really depends if you have a running, if you're going to put them in your starting lineup this upcoming week or not. If you're not putting them in your starting lineup this week, then probably even a little lighter than 20%. We talk about handcuffing a lot more in the offseason as something that's can 
<laughs> handcuff your overall team's upside because, you know, if you're taking Zeke in round four and then Tony Pollard in round seven, tough to really imagine a scenario where both of those guys are going to be absolutely balling out, which means if one of them does, then either your fourth or seventh round pick isn't. So now, though, Nate, here we are sitting in week four. If you had DeAndre Swift on your team and you needed Jamal Williams or you had Dalvin Cook and you need Alexander Madison, in that instance, are you okay with, you know, just going up a little bit more in the fab? Because at that point, like you're locking up one of those running back spots and these are three fairly unique situations where we are looking at the handcuff as someone that should still be started and, you know, be at worst, probably a mid-tier RB2 moving forward. Um, I would say with the Vikings, definitely with Chicago, um, probably, yeah, but I could also see a case where once these two are both healthy, if they start seeing closer to 60, 40% of the snaps, then you still might not have a running back that you're comfortable starting if they're fighting each other for their playing time. Did see some of Tristan Ebner, but it really was a Khalil Herbert show. More snaps than not. You can catch all those snaps by situation again in Nathan's weekly wave wire report. Three more running backs that, again, distant, you know, distant behind the three guys we just talked about, Jamal Williams, Khalil Herbert, and Alexander Madison. But Raheem Moster is still someone that's owned in 57.7% of leagues. Brian Robinson, 36.6%. He is eligible to be back in week five. Washington hasn't, you know, exactly told us that he will for sure be back then, but they don't need to, and the recovery has seemingly gone well. So Brian Robinson really could be the starting running back for Washington as early as week five. Worst case, he would be a handcuff option for Antonio Gibson. Not the same three down upside i think as the other guys we just talked about because jd mckissick isn't going anywhere but brian robinson is a great you know we were telling you last week just to kind of throw him on the end of the bench if you were able to because more and more as that return gets closer people are going to go back to hyping him up just like we were for a good reason you know back in august when he really did seize that starting job also naeem hines someone that in full PPR, you can throw in the flex and not completely hate yourself. But more than anything, Naeem Hines just joins these other guys as high upside handcuffs that need to be rostered in leagues of all shapes and sizes. But Nate, Raheem Moster is actually someone that you highlighted in your articles uh, five to buy low on as well. Talk about what Moster has done from a usage perspective that makes you so, uh, you know, I guess just willing to trust them moving forward. Yeah, so Miami's basically been happy to use both of their running backs in any kind of situation we thought it might be a little bit more run Mostert pass Edmonds, but they've been happy to put Mostert in passing situations as well as Chase Edmonds in short yarded situations. So I think we're going to be stuck seeing both of these running backs, uh, seeing roughly 50% of the snaps each going forward. But Miami's offense has played very well and the schedule gets a bit easier going forward. So I could see Miami running the ball a bit more than they had been, which should lead to plenty of opportunities for both players to score touchdowns. So I think there will be matchups where we can see both Edmonds and Mostert be starting fantasy running backs. Top three waiver wire additions. And honestly, this is, with all due respect to Romeo Dobbs, who we'll talk about in a second, and Chris Olave, if he's available, these should be the top three, you know, waiver wire additions, regardless of position. Jamal Williams, someone that will be, you know, in the top 12, top 15 conversation with DeAndre Swift expected to miss time. Even when Swift comes back, he's still someone that, especially when bye weeks start rolling around, we're not going to hate having in the flex. So Jamal Williams, don't be afraid to go 30, maybe even 35 or so percent of your fab to lock him down. Khalil Herbert and Alexander Madison, depending on the statuses of the David Mount 
Montgomery and Dalvin Cook. Also guys that could be flirting with that top 15 treatment sooner rather than later and potentially for extended action. With that said, once those starters come back, it's going to be much, much tougher to put them in a starting lineup in the same manner as Jamal Williams. So our fab for Herbert and Madison, much closer to that 15, 20% line. Also don't completely forget about Raheem Mostert, Brian Robinson, and Naeem Hines. If you're trying to spruce up some depth, Let's talk about some wide receiver now, Nate. And, you know, you messaged me on Sunday and you were just like, hey, is it too obvious to put Chris Olave in there? And maybe it is. If you're listening to us and you're just like, oh, come on, Olave, he's on every team. Good, fine. If, we, if this just helps one person and Chris Olave is not, you know, is if he is available in your waiver wire, go get the man. I mean, at this point, Nate, is it time to rank Chris Olave ahead of Michael Thomas? Because as much as people like to make fun of the air yards and stuff, Hey, they are a pretty decent predictor of, you know, buying low on someone and seeing big games come out. Just look at what Josh Herzmeyer's air yard model has done the last two weeks of PFF and just, you know, pointing out some of the bigger breakout candidates. So this year, Chris Olave, 541 air yards. Second place is Cortland Sutton at just 381. Is Olave simply the better real life match for Jameis Winston, his, you know, DGAF attitude, throwing the ball downfield? Because even with Michael Thomas dealing with the foot injury, it's not considered serious. Same thing with Jarvis Landry at the ankle. So, yeah, I know if they miss time, then it's obviously Olave to the moon. But, Nate, even if we have a healthy Michael Thomas going into week four, who are you ranking higher, him or Chris Olave? Um, it'll probably depend on the matchups one week to another. But, um, Olave did lead the team in targets when all three of the players were healthy last week. So it was good to see that it wasn't just because the other receivers were getting injured that Olave was playing so well. He was getting the targets regardless of the other wide receivers. So um, I think, especially with Michael Thomas's injury, I'll probably have Olave ranked higher this week just because Thomas probably won't be 100%. But um, he's definitely someone that you at least want to put in your fantasy starting lineups going forward because he's seeing so many targets and so many deep targets, which will lead to plenty of big plays going forward. It was wild just watching that Saints game and like how the cornerbacks kind of had to play Alave because it's look, he's been getting separation deep, but he hasn't been running, you know, 20 yards past uh, everyone. But with that said, Jameis is just so willing to chuck it downfield that. You know, Jameis basically, for better and for worse, forces these defenses to kind of have to account for every square inch of the field out there. So Alave, the defenders just know how, you know, often he'll just run straight past them. And because of that, you see him getting a bunch of those air yards. But then you just see these easy 15 to 20 yard receptions on these deep comebacks where the cornerback has to bail because Jameis is crazy enough to consistently throw it deep. And when you have such a smooth route runner like Chris Alave. See, there we go, guys. Can't ever get through a whole Olave conversation without calling the guy smooth, but it's true. And just having him on the outside, you know, doing the things that made him a top 12 draft pick in the first place, uh, you're seeing, you know, why the Saints were so willing to trade up and add him to the squad. So, yes, he's owned in 75.8% of ESPN leagues, but God forbid you're in one of those 24.2% that doesn't have Chris Olave on a roster. Go get him. And this would be a situation, Nate, where right there with Jamal Williams and those guys, 30% plus of the fab. I mean, this could be a weekly upside wide receiver three, if not more. I'd even venture to say, you know, with Alave, you could be looking to go 40% plus. What do you think? Um, I think I agree with you there. That's fair to say. Now, the second wide receiver that had a nice little breakout. Now, it did come with Sammy Watkins dealing with the hamstring injury, something we've seen happen plenty of times over the years. And also Christian Watson, you know, dealing with his own hamstring injury. But Romeo Dobbs, the training camp hype was wild, and the preseason hype looked good. All of a sudden, Nate, the man's doing it in real regular season competition as well. And an offense that other than Alan Lazard just hasn't really found a tight end or wide receiver to step up to this point. So Romeo Dobbs, 
You're a noted Green Bay Packer lifer, Nathan. What are you thinking about Dobbs just as a fancy asset here moving forward? Are you buying last week as something that we'll see more often, or was that just a big week in a Packers offense that we're probably going to continue to see spread the ball, spread the ball around pretty evenly? Um, I am buying the hype on him right now. The Packers in general have kind of waited on rookie wide receivers when they have in past years. So the fact that he's seeing so much playing time this early, yeah, it's partially due to the injury, but we saw in week one when everyone was healthy, both rookie wide receivers saw significant playing time, roughly equal to Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. And Cobb was basically the clear fifth wide receiver out of the group in week two. So they were already seeing more playing time than we were expecting before these injuries happened. And now that they have happened, Sammy Watkins on injured reserve will miss at least three more games. So that's three more games where Dobbs will very consistently be on the field. And they targeted him the most out of all the wide receivers last week. Um, The coaches have been saying a ton of good things about him. It seems like Rodgers is starting to trust him more. So I think it's not just a case of he's going to be one of the starting wide receivers going forward, but he could be Aaron Rodgers' top option the rest of the season. Now, decent drop-off, I think, from Alave to Dobbs. We still have to worry about, hey, is he going to be the top option getting six, seven targets per week, or is it going to be more, you know, like eight to nine? I tend to think probably falling more in the former bucket. So Romeo Dobbs, Nate. He is someone that, again, only 15.7% owned in ESPN. So he could be available even in some of these deeper 12, 14 team leagues in that situation. Because I do like the way you talk through this sometimes where you got to consider if, you know, Chris Olave isn't owned, then you probably already have a pretty stacked roster. And that's kind of can force you to have a lower fab percentage. But Romeo Dobbs, fab recommendation in these kind of deeper leagues where, yeah, maybe he is someone that we're going to want to have in the flex more weeks than not. Uh, I would be fine with 25 since I think he's someone who he can eventually be a fantasy starter for the rest of the season if he continues to be in uh, Roger's favorite target. Love it. All right, we have six more wide receivers that Nathan is recommending. You don't need to go out super far of your way to get these guys, but still quality wide receiver three to wide receiver four types that, again, with bye weeks around the corner, you know, not going to be the worst guys to have sitting on that bench. So Tyler Boyd available in 62% of leagues. Saw him get the long touchdown last week. Also had a touchdown nullified on a good offensive holding call, but I thought I'd point it out, try to make myself sound smart from having watched the games. You guys know how the game goes, but with Boyd, you know, we've talked about it. Back-to-back wide receiver. 36 finishes and he's someone just in terms of the last two seasons and he's someone where okay that's a fine enough floor and god forbid something happens to t higgins or jamar chase we've consistently seen his targets boom and i would expect that to continue in an offense that yeah rough first two weeks of the year but i think we're already starting to see joe burrow and company get going again also have zay jones only owned a 24.5 percent of espn leagues zay jones someone that we talked about last week as not really being super sold on not so much because of him but more so because of trevor lawrence and just the idea that this jaguars passing game might not be able to enable more than one consistent fantasy receiver with us trusting Christian Kirk right now. But man, Nate, we talked about Trevor Lawrence. You know, the more they continue to put together these big weeks, the more I do start to wonder if we could see more consistency out of this overall passing game. Zay Jones is cemented as the number two in that passing game right now behind Kirk. And to his credit, he's playing very well. Also have Josh Palmer, someone that it's kind of like Tyler Boyd in that more of a wide receiver four type, you know, when everyone's healthy. But if one of Keenan Allen or Mike Williams are out, all of a sudden Palmer is firmly in 
that wide receiver three conversation. Still have George Pickens. Unfortunately, you know, not getting enough target volumes, but making the most out of it. My goodness, that catch last Thursday night. So he is, again, one of these wide receiver threes with the potential to move up should either of the team starters get injured. Devontae Parker coming off a big game. Unfortunately, probably going to have Brian Hoyer under center for the next few weeks at least. And we have Matt Collins. Monster effort last week. Did come with Hunter Renfro out of the picture, though. And I got to imagine at some point, Nate, that Devontae Adams will lead the Raiders in receiving yards. Really going out of a limb there for now, though, it is Matt Collins. So out of this group, again, Tyler Boyd, Zay Jones, Josh Palmer, George Pickens, Devontae Parker, and Matt Collins. No one that I think, you know, we're breaking down the fab door to go out and get on our team. With that said, quality options. Are there one or two that you're especially fond of moving forward? Um, I'm excited to see what Zay Jones can do going forward. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Jacksonville's offense earlier with how well they're playing. Uh, the fact that they don't have like any real young wide receivers that are waiting to get more playing time is also good to see that he's probably not going to get phased out of the offense at any point because Jacksonville doesn't have any of those guys to phase him out with. Uh, they've been staying with three wide receiver sets, so he's basically always on the field for the pass plays. And there's just so much volume there. So even if his talent isn't quite as good as some other wide receivers or he doesn't have that upside, I think he will just continue to have that volume week in and week out. So uh, definitely someone who can be helpful with bye weeks coming along that can fill that hole in your lineup and definitely see five, six, seven catches potentially. Already 19 receptions on the season, you know, averaging now 6.33 per game. So, yeah, with Zay Jones, I mean, look, someone that didn't really do anything during the first part of his career in Buffalo. He goes to the Raiders, where like the most notable thing before 2021 was John Gruden saying he was like the best conditioned wide receiver on the team. But like Zay Jones did not start until Henry Ruggs, you know, did Henry Ruggs things last season. So that's kind of just why I really, I think a lot of us weren't as tuned in uh, to Zay Jones. Shout out to underdog fantasies, Josh Norris, who has been on it and has to remind us that he's been on it every time Zay Jones <laughs> catches a pass. But shout out, Josh. Love you, man. Either way, with Zay Jones, man, again, it's more so the way the Jaguars have been using them over these three weeks and expecting it to move forward in an offense that's exceeding our expectations. So they gave him $24 million. I think some of us scoffed at that contract, similar to the Christian Kirk contract. But they gave him the money. He's making good use of it. Don't feel bad about getting Zay Jones. With these guys, though, Nate, 10, 15% of fab at the most. We're not going crazy. Uh, I agree with you completely there. There's probably not too many people looking to pick up Zay Jones. So <laughs> ideally you don't have to put that much in order to get him. Couple tight end options now. Thursday night hero on all of your fantasy benches, David Njoku going off, looking like you know the fifty-five dollar million dollar man that the Browns paid him to be, and just the freak athlete, you know, with the spark score that everyone fantasy has talked about for the last five years running. So with Njoku still owned in just thirty-two point seven percent of ESPN leagues, have you seen enough out of Njoku's usage for the first three weeks, Nathan, to treat him as an every week tight end twelve or better moving forward? Um, I think he's going to be borderline there the rest of the season, and I think he'll be someone who will be uh, frustrating. He'll either be open against some opponents and not open against other opponents, so you'll either be getting a ton of fantasy volume out of him or barely any. So I think he will be a very frustrating person to have in your starting lineup, but still having that chance of him catching eight or nine passes in a game is something that you're not going to see about most other tight ends that you're considering starting. 
Last week was certainly, uh, I think, the ceiling performance that we'll get from the joke of the season. And Nathan's, again, aforementioned waiver wire article you can find on PFF.com. He does show, though, that at a minimal this year, after we just had these constant committees in Cleveland at the tight end position with Hooper, the Joku, and Harrison Bryant, the Joku is at least a full-time player now. He has been on the field 189 of the Browns, 210 snaps this year. He's been efficient, you know, eighth best yards per out run among all tight ends. So, yeah, he's on the field all the time, and he is being efficient with his opportunity. The problem is, as great, truly, as Jacoby Brissett has been over these past two weeks, not exactly expecting that to, you know, continue over the course of the entire Deshaun Watson suspension. So scoring upside usually isn't that high. And this is still a run first offense that goes first and foremost through Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So, yes, David Njoku is someone that should be added as a top tight end this week on the waiver wire. With that said, let's not get too carried away and you know, anoint him kind of in that Dallas Goddard top five, top six tier of things. A couple other tight ends you have listed, Nathan. Tyler Conklin continues to keep on keeping on even with CJ Uzoma back last week. I figured it was going to be more of a split committee and maybe it could be more down the road with Uzoma back in his first game returning from injury. But right now, and just based on the training camp reports, I mean, Tyler Conklin really has been the preferred receiver for Joe Flacco in New York this entire time. Now going from Flacco to Zach Wilson could unfortunately, you know, lower the floor here, but overall thoughts on Tyler Conklin. And if he could be someone that, Hey, it's at least in the upside tight end two conversation far more than we thought he was going to be before the season. Um, he's someone that I think will have a high floor, but not the highest ceiling. Uh, he's run more routes than any other tight end so far this season. So that's not going to change regardless of who the quarterback is. Um, has a low target share given his routes run, but that's still good for fifth most in targets. Has the second most catches this year, seventh most yards. So the Jets have plenty of other options on offense, but he's still getting the ball a decent amount with just how many plays the Jets have been running. So um, he's someone that he's just playing well enough, even though he's not uh, the greatest tight end in the world, but volumes all that matter in fantasy. So uh, he's one of the few people getting the volume right now at tight end. Another guy getting a ton of volume is Hayden Hurst for the Bengals. Unfortunately, he was limited a little bit last week, and you know, with them just really bouncing out to a big lead. Finally, in the first half uh, over the Jets, we didn't see the Bengals keep their foot on the gas, understandably, so Hurst wasn't being used a ton in the second half. On the other side of the coin, Irv Smith still kind of coming back from that preseason sum injury, and his usage has been increasing, staying involved in the offense, still not quite playing that every down role. So rest of the season, Nate, with these guys, Njoku, Conklin, Irv Smith, Hayden Hurst, how do you rank them for the rest of the season? Um, I probably have Njoku first just because we know he's going to be the starter, know he's going to have the volume, and Conklin probably second just because we know that he's the volume play there. Irv Smith, he's slowly seen his snaps increase, but we don't know if he's ever going to be that every down player that we were hoping to see him become. So because of that, He's a little bit iffy. And then Hayden Hurst, um, this past week, it was partially because of the injury. All three Bengals tight ends are showing up at the injury report this week. So not the greatest sign when you're playing on Thursday night football. Um, we can hope that Hurst at some point sees some of those red zone targets, but it is something where Hurst will be someone that's going to be very touchdown dependent, where some of those earlier guys are going to have the volume week in and week out. 
Yeah. Uh, Bengals, Dolphins, Thursday night football. I'm going to have boots on the ground there. Downtown Cincinnati. I know you're not too, I know you're not too far away as well. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about meeting up for that. And then also don't be surprised people Sunday morning. We do have the London kickoff at nine 30. So if you're like me, enjoy sleeping in on the weekends guys, set that alarm just a little bit earlier on than usual on Sunday. Make sure you don't have any Vikings or saints players in that fantasy lineup. I mean, or if you do, you know, play them because it's freaking at nine 30, not 1 PM Eastern. Great stuff, Nate. Now, quickly, also in your lovely article on Tuesday, you have five to cut, five to buy low, and five to sell high on. So five to cut. Kenneth Walker alongside guys I think are more understandable. Kenyon Drake, healthy scratch last week with J.K. Dobbins back. Miko Hardman continuing to just have a hard time to really crack that, even to be the definitive number three in Kansas City with the things that Watson and maybe at some point Sky Moore are doing. Also have Devin Duvernay. Keep scoring touchdowns. Unfortunately, we just cannot trust this low route rate he's putting forward. And at some point, maybe Lamar Jackson will stop scoring four touchdowns per game. Maybe not. I love that he's doing it, but Duvernay is still the number three you know, receiver at best in an offense that I think we do expect to run the ball a bit more moving forward now that J.K. Dobbins is finally back in action. And then Austin Hooper just hasn't been able to carve out the full-time role in a Titans offense that, again, just continues to use three tight ends week in and week out. But talk about Kenneth Walker, Nate, because he came back from the injury. We had Travis Homer suffer a rib injury, and yet the Seahawks still use Kenneth Walker as their third running back. I mean, if you are in a keeper league or something, definitely don't cut Kenneth Walker because Rashad Penny, unrestricted free agent next year, they add a you know better quarterback than Geno Smith. All of a sudden, Kenneth Walker could you know be a potential top five, top six round pick, maybe even higher. Who the hell knows? But right now, at least for 2022, Nate, not feeling too good about Kenneth Walker's upside. Oh, yeah. And with the five to add, five to cut that article, I try to have a variety of players that different league sizes will factor in. So definitely, like, if you're in a larger league, don't cut Walker. It's more for the lighter leagues where you would consider cutting him. Uh, That's why I have my rest of season rankings, which are also up at pff.com every Tuesday. So you can look there to see if you should drop him based on where he ranks compared to other players. But it's a situation in Seattle where they have clear rushing running backs and clear passing running backs. Homer got injured. They went straight to DJ Dallas. It wasn't either of the two running backs that saw an increased role. And Seattle's had a relatively easy schedule so far this season. It's going to be getting tougher, which means more passing the ball, less rushing the ball. So less work for both Penny and Walker. So even though I expect Walker to start cutting into Penny's playing time a little bit here and there, that'll probably mostly just mean Penny won't be a fantasy starter anymore and not that any of the backs in Seattle will be a fantasy starter. It's a muddled early down situation where neither guy has a chance to get pass downs and a bad offense that we don't expect to get much better unfortunate times in Seattle. At least Geno Smith is doing uh, some good things there. I will continue to talk about this, even if the mainstream media is trying to silence us Geno truthers out here. Nate, five to buy low. James Conner coming off the injury, you know, didn't have his usual role last week, but we still expect him to be the near every down player whenever he is healthy enough to do so, which it does seem to be moving in a positive direction. Raheem Moster, who Nathan talked about earlier, DJ Moore as well, Jahan Dotson and Devontae Adams. And again, Nathan adds all this context. So maybe Devontae Adams, you know, the people in your league are smart and they have absolutely no you know, reason to try to trade him. If I had Devontae Adams, I would not be trying to trade him at all. God forbid someone is. Don't be afraid to try to get low on him. But, Nate, let's go ahead and talk about our sleeper 
of the day here. Shout out Sleeper, my favorite app for, you know, participating in redraft fantasy football. And they have fantastic resources for Dynasty and all that as well. Let's talk about DJ Moore here. Someone who's unfortunately, you know, really had a disappointing start in the season with Baker Mayfield really playing terrible for essentially, in my opinion, 10 of his 12 quarters, you know, out there for the Panthers this season. With that said, still we're talking about one of the more talented receivers in the league. And the one thing about Baker that I think we've seen that you could say is a positive for these wide receivers is that he's not really force feeding the ball to Christian McCaffrey in the same way as we've seen past the quarterbacks do in this offense. So hopefully Nate better days are here to come for DJ Moore. Uh, yeah, I would say there's really three things that have been holding him back. It's the volume of offense Carolina's had. It's the quality of passes thrown his way and the percentage of targets thrown his way. So ideally the Panthers start playing better as an offense. Baker Mayfield hasn't played well. There's really only up to go from here. And like worst case, if Baker keeps playing this poorly, they'll probably switch back to Sam Darnold at some point. So we'll start seeing more what we saw last year, which still isn't the greatest thing, but better than what we've seen so far for more. So that would help both the volume of the offense in general and also help the quality of passes thrown his way. I think more is one of the, Oh, both Moore and Anderson are two of the top five players in terms of uh, inaccurate passes thrown their way. So targets that were thrown their way that were just not catchable at all. So um, that's something that will hopefully get better for more going forward. And then uh, just the percentage of passes thrown his way. And that's something that is probably the biggest unknown after that will get fixed going forward. But ideally, Mayfield does start throwing him to him more or if they switch back to Sam Darnold. We know Darnold is just fine throwing to DJ Moore a significant amount of times, even if they aren't the greatest passes. DJ Moore, man, I feel like just has there ever been like a buy low article written that didn't talk about DJ Moore? His entire freaking career, we're just waiting for this guy to finally put it all together. Please, Baker, it's been a rough three weeks, but if you could just give us DJ Moore, uh, I at least will stop slandering you as much. I can't, I can't, I can't speak for the rest of Twitter, Nate. It gets, it gets awfully, uh, awfully hostile out there when we talk about Baker Mayfield sometimes, but obviously this year, uh, deservedly so with the way he's been doing lately. So DJ Moore, the sleeper of the show. Before we get to Nate's five to sell high i want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at no house advantage no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today playing pick them contests versus other people for a shot at winning 250,000 plus in cash Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bound up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANTASYPFF at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Again, make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports. Redefine because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. And also, I just want to remind you guys that PFF now has an app. You can get all of our industry-leading fantasy football advice, exclusive betting dashboards, latest premium football analysis, our player grades, advanced stats, all that and more in the palm of your hand. And Nate, I think the most useful tool we have that I really do actively use myself 
as much as I trust my own rankings, I appreciate you and Kevin Cole's opinion as well. And our start sit tool for, you know, PFL plus subscribers, we give you the ability to go in and you have your start sit question that I try to get to as much as possible, you know, take a half hour, almost every Thursday night. I missed it last week. I had a dinner reservation. Fiance would have killed me. So sorry about that guys. But every Sunday morning at a minimum, I'll be there for at least 30 minutes Sunday morning in the PFF fantasy football Twitter community answering the start sit questions, but can't get to all of them. Unfortunately, wish I could can't. So the PFF app, which with our start sit tool, very simple. You pick your two players that you ask, you know, Twitter usually for start sit advice anyway, tells you where I have them ranked, where Nathan has them ranked, where Kevin has them ranked. You can take two out of three. You can prefer Nathan. You can prefer me, prefer Kevin. We just give you the information that you're looking for. And that's why we set the ranks and update them throughout the week to begin with. So Nathan, he, you know, he had to get a new office because of all those fantasy pros ranking competitions, uh, trophies that he just had stacking up everywhere. I like to think I work pretty hard too. Also got Kevin Cole doing his great thing. So again, the start sit feature in the pff app can't say enough great things about that all right nate final notes here five guys to sell high on Najee harris damian pierce robert woods Devontae parker and kyle pitts so Najee harris does this has come down to the fact that we have actually seen now a banged up version of Najee, but this is not the 90 percent plus never leave the field Najee that we got used to seeing so much in 2021 uh, yeah, Jalen Warren was able to play a bit last week, and he was probably playing better than Najee Harris was. Uh, Warren gained six-plus rushing yards on three of his four carries, and Harris only accomplished that twice in the game. So Warren had more good plays over a much smaller sample than Harris had. And then similarly, Warren only had one catch in the box score, but he also had a 35-yard catch wiped out due to an ineligible man downfield. So um, if you didn't have him in your sheesh column, probably put Warren there for that. <laughs> Oh, I did, Nate. Don't worry. Don't be doubting that. But yes, that was a uh, great run by Warren. Unfortunately, got got not. Yeah, it was like it was a, that one especially. Man, it was an illegal man downfield penalty. Like sometimes with the penalty ones, and I mentioned it, like the Tyler Boyd touchdown of for, like that was a hold that probably wouldn't have been a touchdown without the penalty. So it's tough to be you know too complaining about that. But the Warren run, man, that really was just unfortunate because didn't really impact the play. Damian Pierce, he's getting the rush attempts. Unfortunately, Rex Burkhead continues to have all the pass down. Work and this is a Texans offense that just continues to look awfully rough. Nay, I couldn't believe this man watching. So I forget what this formation is called. It's a like a trick play though. You see in high school a lot where they start off and they only have they have the center and they have two guards and they actually take the tackles and tight ends and they put them like over on the sideline. So the mm -hmm. quarterback's there and he's basically got two. You guys have all seen it before. Uh, he's got like the two screen options on each side of the field. You force the defense to basically go out there and defend it right. Otherwise, you're going to have numbers and you can throw a screen. It's a fine enough play. The Texans three times, Nate, against the Bears came out in this formation, sat there for a second, had the entire offense, you know, come back and regroup, and they ran the ball straight up the middle. Like, this is the just advanced version of the freaking Texans offense right now. It was so disgusting to watch. I mean, that Bears-Texans game took years off my life just getting through it. But honestly, I thought the Bears offense was more entertaining in terms of what they were trying to do than the Texans. So, hey, if the Texans can stay close in a game, I think Damian Pierce has a chance to make the most out of 15 to 20 rush attempts. Unfortunately, scoring volume not going to be there. And if he's not getting the pass down work as well, he's all of a sudden someone that, hey, it's like what we talked about in Seattle, man. Like it's not anything against this player's particular talent, but when you don't have the volume, and you don't have the offensive environment. It's just one of those situations that's going to be tough for him to capitalize on. 
Robert Woods, someone that did put up some decent numbers last week, but we are seeing Traylon Burks actually finally be a full-time member in this offense. Also came in a game where Kyle Phelps wasn't able to play with a shoulder injury. Devontae Parker, similar sentiment, benefiting from a game which Jacoby Myers missed with a knee injury. He looked good out there, man, truly had that dog in him. You know, show me all the x-ray picks for Devontae Parker uh, last week. Unfortunately, Brian Hoyer under center, not been good. We've seen him in two starts basically since 2018. Both have been rather abysmal. But, Nate, this one pains me, man. Kyle Pitts, time to sell high on the guy. Talk about some of the frustrating route usage we have with Kyle Pitts in week three because we saw it in week one. Week two is actually fine. Like, he was out there running around and over 90% of the dropbacks despite not having, you know, the sort of counting numbers we were hoping for. But low-key, despite the boom in production, week three maybe not the best sign moving forward for Kyle Pitts. Oh, yeah. The Falcons have liked leaving their tight ends into pass block way too much so far this season. So they didn't have Pitts pass blocking as much this week, but that's because he wasn't on the field as much this week. Um, We saw him play the fewest amount of snaps we've seen him play. This season, he was seeing higher percentage of snaps in most games last season, so that's fairly concerning. Um, They weren't throwing Tim as much on their first read so far this season just because now they have Drake London on the field to throw to plenty on the first read, and the offense just hasn't been playing quite as well. Uh, they also like mixing up their formations a bit and uh, personnel groupings, and he hasn't been in quite as much on some of those traditionally more run-heavy groupings, but they still run some pass plays out of those formations. So those are routes that I tight ends and every down tight end, they're seeing those routes. If not, they aren't seeing those routes, which we've seen with plenty of tight ends over the course of their careers. So um, he's still lining up more like a traditional tight end rather than in the slot or out wide quite as much as we would like. A lot of these great tight ends that are consistently putting up fantasy numbers are doing a lot of their work in the slot or out wide. That's why Travis Kelsey at his age is able to continue playing so well is because he's playing that kind of role. So I think it's something where we're going to continue to be frustrated at how little they're using him, and especially in the red zone. I think only one red zone target so far this season. So I don't think he's going to put up the volume that we want to see out of him Um, compared to where he was drafted. So I think I'd rather be fine trading him after he had this one good game and think that he might see some games similar to weeks one and week two throughout the rest of the season. And honestly, it was more so a good first half. I mean, they came out first play of the game. They threw a deep ball to Kyle Pitts. They had all sorts of stuff designed for him. I mean, he ended up with 147 air yards, but just really in the second half, they just got away from it. And it looked a lot more like the first two weeks of the season. So I think the first point you made about Drake London is the big one. Like last week, Drake London only had six targets and he still looked fantastic. Another touchdown. He almost had a second touchdown, but the corner did a good job ripping the ball away at the last second. So with Kyle Pitts, it's honestly, it's kind of like what we talked about with Zay Jones like this Falcons offense we got my guy CPAT doing his thing on the ground but it wouldn't be shocking if Marcus Mariota can't enable more than one really consistent high-end fantasy pass catcher we have every reason to believe that's Drake London right now might not be Kyle Pitts so if there is still someone out there just thinks he's you know premier by low type of guy and you're able to actually get Kyle Pitts off for a good choice especially if you happen to have you know a Dallas Goddard or someone like that on your roster and you're just already like really blessed with two high-end tight ends might not be the worst idea consider selling high on Kyle Pitts as much as it pains me to say Nathan uh, you know you bring up the numbers it's uh, it's tough to really disagree with that 
All right, everyone. This has been the Waiver Wire edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, we're back every Tuesday afternoon at 1230 here live on YouTube and, you know, wherever you're listening to us right now. And you can check out Nathan's weekly Waiver Wire report on Mondays. Also, it's five to buy. Five to sell, low, high, wherever the hell you got those five things for on Tuesday as well, Nathan. Great stuff. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, no, I think I'm good. We've had three good weeks of football and have several more to go. So looking forward to it. Great day to be great. As always, I'll have my positional previews up on PFF.com throughout the week. I'm actually going on the couch with uh, Sigmund Bloom in about 30 minutes. So check that out on YouTube if you guys are looking for some more afternoon ball talk. Always a great time sitting down with Sig. So appreciate you guys tuning in. For Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.